the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 103. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Happy spring break, Sandra. Happy spring break. (laughs) Are you enjoying it? Your week? I am thoroughly enjoying my week, but I'm telling you, it was a full stop for me Mm. because I got a little sick. I know. You got sick, right? Because last weekend was Sober by Southwest. Sober by Southwest. So I got sick a couple of days before that, and I was really determined to go. Now, um, I question that determination in hindsight now a bit, although I really, I don't know. I didn't set myself back too much, I don't guess. I was just, I felt okay that day, Saturday, um, to go. And I'm so glad I went because there was, you know, so many good friends there. It was a beautiful day. Um, but I just downed a a whole lot of ibuprofen and vitamins and just kind of, and I got a B12 shot while I was there. Of course, I never even felt it. I think it just kind of made me feel <laughs> semi-normal. It didn't give Aww. me any sort of boost of energy. Right. But um, yeah, so no regrets. Glad I went, but then I was back in bed for a couple more days afterwards. So Aww. I'm Did glad you- that I had the time off. Yeah. It was like perfect timing, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, did you get to meet Holly? I did get to meet Holly. Oh, Finally. I'm so glad. I'm I so know, glad. I know, I know. I did get to meet the beautiful Holly. I'm so, it's so funny because we were both like, it's so weird that we've never met. And of course it feels like we know each other, but right. we do, but we just have never met in real life. So. Well, it, it looked like a lot of ladies there that were. There were a lot of ladies there. Yeah. All the Austin girls showed up. There were some friends from Houston and Dallas. And I don't even think I got to meet everyone. I got to see, uh, I got to meet some unruffled listeners and that was really fun. I love when that happens. Oh, good. I'm glad you, I'm glad you had fun there. And this week, have you just been kind of with the kids, with the husband, just kind of resting? Yeah. Yeah. I had to take a couple of days to just really, I mean, watch a lot of TV and not much else. My eyesight was kind of messed up, which was, it, kind of scared me my husband kept like making me okay smile (laughs) you know I wasn't having a stroke (laughs) Sandra I read that in your newsletter and I was like what the hell for real I couldn't see nor so I have I wear readers I can't my my nearsightedness is completely gone but but I can see far away pretty well but not for a couple of days I couldn't and my attention span was like that of a fly. I couldn't read. So I just found myself on the couch watching TV. I watched everything. <laughs> have you have you watched Catastrophe? I haven't watched that one, but I, I think I, I'd see, I don't know if I get that streaming channel. Is it on, is it Amazon? Oh, it's Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, it, okay. It was good. I, I binge watched it this week, so I just was going to share that, but yeah, it's, it definitely has a lot of drinking in it. Right. Um, because it's, um, Rob Delaney, right. Who is yeah. sober. Yeah. 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 So he, 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 um, his wife drinks a lot in the show. Um, and he does not, uh, uh-huh. won't give it all away, but you know, things happen and it, so that's definitely a, an undercurrent of the show, but it's so funny and so smart and so witty and, um, it's, I really enjoyed it. So I binge watched four seasons of that. So oh, good. that was not on my to-do list, but I did it. Who cares? That's, <laughs> I think that's what is, you know, if you're doing the staycation thing, mm-hmm. then whatever, no judgment for me, <laughs> watch Live. a bunch of television. Yeah, that's what I, well, I had big projects to tackle this week and I was glad I had the time, you know, my husband was gone for a couple of days, which gave me some time to get some really big, um, sit at my desk, don't move from the computer type things. And as much as I hated doing them, like they had been just plaguing me. And I don't know this, this since January, Sandra, I've just felt like I'm barely hanging on. Like I have too many balls in the air. And so it's felt like I needed to get some of those things done. So this week was, was good for that. Except for the fact that Mercury is in retrograde, so it um, <laughs> things were thwarted technically um, at every turn. So <laughs> I was just like, today I want to work with my hands and paper and not um, the computer. So we're doing this, we're recording this, and then that's gonna I'm gonna step away from the computer. But yeah, yeah. Um, I really quickly wanted to um, mention. Uh, some, some of our unruffled listeners in our um, Facebook group were talking about the 100 day project. Mm -hmm. And I know you and I have participated in that in the past and it launches on April 2nd. And if our listeners, you know, they wanted to do it, please. um, It's a great experience. And I would, I would just um, read their website and read the recommendations and see how it works and get their newsletter and all of that. Um, our unruffled listeners last year that participated created a hashtag or we did. I don't even remember how it all went down. I think Susan Saintsbury started it or somebody did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, and the hashtag for the project is unruffled 100, the, the numbers one zero zero. And there's like 624 posts from Mm -hmm. utilize that, that um, hashtag last year. So you can go see some projects. So if you're listening and you're thinking about doing the 100 day project, can also look at their hashtag, which is that 100 day project. Um, I'm thinking about it, but if I do it, it's going to be, have to be something super duper easy that I'm already doing like my gratitude lists or a watercolor a day or something so simple that I can do it and not freak out about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I'm going to have FOMO. I'm going to wish that I had done it, but I, um, one thing that, that happened as those things do when I was sick is I had a lot of time to just sit and stare out the window and reflect and that's when the good ideas come. And I, I just, I'm, I'm working on something right now that feels big and, um, I need to, I don't think I'm gonna, you know, we, we all want to do all the things, right. But it's yeah. not, it's not always the smartest choice. So yeah. no, you're right. I think well, I'm last year I didn't skip that. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't have FOMO uh, at all. I, I, I don't, I always say, I don't think I have FOMO for things. I mean, I appreciate things like, of course, I'd love to be in Austin and be with you gals week last weekend, but I just, for, for, I think I'm feeling too, too pressured by everything else that I was like, <clears throat> 
you know, I'm not going to miss out on it, but this year it feels different. It feels like actually maybe it could push a project forward. Yeah. Which is really, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, that's a good way to utilize the, the the whole, the whole project. Exactly. Is if you have something that you really have felt compelled to work on and you just need some accountability. Yeah. Um, the great way to utilize the hundred day project, which by the way, we should say we're not affiliated with this whatsoever. Yeah. You know, anybody can jump on it. Just yeah. like Tammy said, use the hashtags, look at their website, get the info. Yeah. Their website is um, the 100 day project.org and it has all the data on there, how to choose a project or, you know, and how to sign up for their newsletter and all that jazz. But um, the, the project I did the year before when I did the 100 day project, I've dipped into all of those illustrations to create a little book that I'm working on right now. Right. So it's been good to go, oh my gosh, I have a whole box full of a hundred illustrations and more than that, that I could go pull from. I don't have to reinvent the wheel for a new project. I can go actually look at my own thing. So Sure. Um, and my, my word of warning would be if when you decide on something, even if it's something that you really want to do, but you think it might take up quite a bit of time daily, mm-hmm. I would say choose easy. <laughs> choose <laughs> something yeah. that you can knock out in way under an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So that was it. I know that since we're talking about creativity and recovery, I know that the, one of the, um, the gals running it was El Luna and Lindsay Jean Thompson. And Lindsay Jean Thompson talked about uh, in the video that I watched, like the first, one of the first years that she did it, she did a hundred days without drinking. And I I didn't know that. And she said, so it doesn't have to be something that you add in. It could be actually something you subtract to from your life. So Mm -hmm. if you're feeling overwhelmed or not feeling like you need to add another project, maybe it's something 100 days of not doing something. Mm, that's a good idea. Um, could also almost like, almost like Lint, right? <laughs> right, but 100 days, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and then speaking of artistic projects, uh, we have, so the last Recovery Gals Art Exchange just came to a close. It was the spring exchange, and those projects are starting to trickle into our secret Facebook group. Um the theme was rooted and there's just some, oh, there's some beautiful art come in so far. Um, I know some things are still being, you know, still um, being mailed and, you know, they haven't been received yet or maybe they haven't been posted yet, but there's some really cool things coming in. Um, So soon ish, we will be taking names for the summer exchange. We have not chosen a theme yet, but if you are interested in participating in the recovery gals art exchange, you can search the hashtag on Instagram hashtag recovery gals art exchange. And you can see, uh, projects that, I mean, I don't even know how many items are on that under that hashtag, but I would imagine a lot. Yeah. Well, you can I, uh, see previous exchanges to see what it's like. I think it's such a fun, um, it's just such a surprise. Like we've said before, it feels like Christmas, you know, mm-hmm. um, when we, um, when we kind of open up that uh, hashtag and kind of see everything that's, that's there. And then as it starts trickling in, it's just awesome. It's so awesome. So yeah, I'm excited. I didn't participate this time around. It's the first time that I didn't. And um, uh, yeah, I think summer is going to be a great time for me to participate. Yeah. And, and to do that. Yeah. We have almost 200 posts under that hashtag, Sandra. Oh, cool. So people can see 200 projects and things that people are exchanging. 
And um, yeah, so to, to, to participate in that, they just need to reach out to us um, on Facebook and ask to be added to that group. Right. So we'll put right. a post in the Unruffled Podcast Facebook group. Um, and same for that, if you want to be added to that group. Uh, for sure. And you, and you, will, you won't miss when we um, call for participants. You won't miss the post. We'll post it several times. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything else? I think that's it. Yeah. I think that's it. Um, all right. We should get to our guest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, today on the podcast, we have our friend Kimberly Miller, or we call her Kim. Um, anyway, Kim Miller is an art a writer, artist, hiker, and mom based in Las Vegas. She is the creator of Sober in Vegas, which is www.soberinvegas.com, and it is a website dedicated to exploring a mindful and alcohol-free lifestyle in Sin City. She's written for Matador Travel and She Explores, and in 2019, she had her first solo art exhibition at the Winchester Cultural Center. Prior to her transition into writing and visual art, she worked in live theater as a producer, director, and stage manager. Uh, she is such a delight in her work. I just printed out a calendar that she made that she offered for free that shows her artwork. And so when this goes up in our, um, in our Facebook group, I'll definitely put a link to that because Kim is not on Facebook. That's right. Um, but it's a free download um, for her calendar and it's so beautiful. So I'm using that for the show calendar for the year. So when we're scheduling guests and, and it's, it's so beautiful, I love it. it has all these great neon colors that I love with some pictures and collage of kind of iconic um, Vegas uh, places in Vegas. And after our interview with Kim, I did not get to um, ask her what glue she uses for collage. And I felt like that was really important. <laughs> so. Oh, I thought you figured out the glue thing. I don't remember talking about it with her. No, 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 no. I thought oh. you figured out your own personal glue. Well, I thought I did. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought I did. I need to talk to Susan Sainsbury again. I need to, I need to find the exact glue that she uses. But um, I asked Kim what she uses. I've been using a glue stick, and just for creatives, if you're interested, it's the Uhu stick. It's U-H-U. comes in like a yellow and black um, container or, yeah, stick. And I contacted a collage artist that I admire that like people buy her work and they're collectors of it. And um, that's what she said she uses for archival um, collaging. And it's lifting. It's not working for me. Oh. I don't know if that's Mercury in retrograde too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, tr I'm still on the hunt. So rubber cement works really well. And Kim said she used to use that. But Kim just uses, um, let me look at my um, text here with her. She just used old, an old-fashioned glue stick from Elmer's Glue. Oh. They're, they're glue sticks. So that's that. Oh. And I meant to ask that during the interview. Um, right. You, oh, see, I thought rubber cement was like your, your panacea of glue. It is for my ray of light projects now, like that solved everything. But when you're working with really thin magazine pages, uh -huh. the glue is so thick and gloppy, or the cement is so thick and gloppy, it's really hard. You put way too much on it. You know oh, I mean? and it gets bubbly. Yeah, and it's just messy and all of it bleeds out. So you mm. kind of, a stick would be nice. Like if they had a rubber cement stick, I'd like that. 
but um, maybe I need to make that. Yeah, no, I don't need to do any of that. Um, <laughs> if you guys want to check out Kim's work or check out all the, the Vegas resources, she shares them. Like she's so um, generous. Um, she's yes. at Sober in Vegas on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy her. Yeah, you'll enjoy it, Kim. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for having me. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Well, Kim, we got to tell everybody where you're calling from because um, they should already know, right? <laughs> <laughs> with your Instagram handle name, but let's get to that. Where are you chatting with us from today? I'm calling you from Las Vegas. Um, I'm Las Vegas early morning, which is a very special breed of Las Vegas. <laughs> I bet. Because it's the city that never sleeps, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. That's true. It's kind of a, you never know what time it is, right? There's no clocks in Vegas. Is that? Yes. And no, in so many of the casinos, there's not a lot of daylight either. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember I bet it's that. so interesting walking down the street early in the morning in Las Vegas. I love it. Um, you know, it's a weird mix. There's some people that are still enjoying their evening from the night before. Right. Then there's the people um, like me who are early birds. And it's really fun. A lot of times on the strip, there's usually like people out jogging in the morning. Um so it's, I love that it's always just such uh, an interesting mix of every kind of person. <laughs> right. Because there's still the reverie and those are the tourists, but then there's all the people that live there and they've got to carry on with their lives and get up and go to work and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm sure it is an interesting mix. I bet it's super interesting though. Have you ever been there, Sandra? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So you've been there, yeah. Many times, but uh, never sober, first of all. And secondly, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I would be one of those people that if, yeah, if I was stumbling out of a place at 5 a.m., I certainly wouldn't be up, you know, going for a jog. <laughs> no. No, I wouldn't have been that person then. No. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, well, Kim, your Instagram handle is Sober in Vegas, and your website is SoberInVegas.com. And um, you and I, became kind of Instagram friends first, right? Yeah. And uh, when I was going to Vegas, when my friend was really sick and in the hospital, you had reached out to me um, about, I don't, was it like meeting up or just like if I needed anything to do while I was in Vegas? Because Vegas is historically just Sin City, right? Yes. That's what a lot of people think of it as. Yeah. So when I see, if I see like a sober friend is visiting and they've like, you know, tagged Vegas or tagged, um, like the sober in Vegas tag, I always try and just leave a comment and just say, Hey, if you need anything, let me know. Hmm. Well, one thing I noticed about you, we have much to cover today, but when I was researching you, you are a person who is really big into service. It appears to me. Is that an accurate assessment of you? <laughs> Yes, I, uh, I think that that, you know, is just a big part of who I am. Um, I, I know there've been times in my life, life where I've tried to say, Oh, I need to take a break. I need to take a break. I need to just kind of chill. And I just can't like, I can't. <laughs> it's in you. It's in you. Right. Well, okay. So we're going to get into everything. Um, I'm kind of jumping already in because I'm excited, but we should probably let people know who are listening um, 
you know, how you came to the decision to quit drinking and what that looked like for you um, so that they can know kind of where you're at and, and maybe resonate with your story in some way. And then we'll get into Vegas because we have to, for sure, and all the work that you do about promoting the city. And um, also, we want to talk to you today about sobriety and spending because you've been writing about that lately. So, and you're a massively creative person. So let's get started. Lots to cover. <laughs> Lots to start covering. Um, how did you come to the decision to quit drinking or to remove alcohol from your life? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I didn't start drinking until I was probably like 18 or 19. Like I didn't drink as a young person in high school. I was really, you know, um, super good kid, super nerdy kid. I was like, very, very religious when I was growing up. So I, and I also was just like, didn't have time. Like I was involved in a bunch of extracurricular activities. So it wasn't until I moved away and went to college that I started drinking. And I remember just like how good it felt to let go. Um, you know, just being kind of a type A person, a person that struggles with anxiety, a person that's, um, like always trying to reach for perfection. I remember starting drinking in college and being like, this is amazing. Like I'm not worried about all these other things when I drink. Um, And it's also letting, you just had, I just had a realization that I don't think I've ever had. You're also letting go of being a good girl, right? Yes. Because there's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And then shame if you're not and, and drinking just like erased all of those feelings. Yes. Yeah. And I think like when, yeah, the like whole good thing, like being really good, like it felt so good to just let go and say like, I don't have to worry about any of these things when I'm drinking. And, you know, in college, I feel like a lot of people experiment with drinking and some people can just let it go by the wayside when they're done with college. And it's like, okay, great. But for me, it was just part of my life from the minute I started, um, I worked, I went to school for theater. I ended up working in theater, um, after college and it's just part of the culture. Pretty much every theater has a bar in it. Um, so it was, drinking was always around. Um, and you know, there are people that work in theater that don't have a problem with alcohol, but I just wasn't one of those people. Um, and then once I got, uh, I moved around a little bit after college. I went to college in the Midwest. I moved to New York and it was super easy to drink there because I didn't have to drive. Um, after that, I moved home to Vegas for about a year right before the economy crashed. And my drinking really wasn't that bad, especially because you have to drive here. So it was, it was pretty under control. But after the economy crashed, I had just a little bit of a downward spiral. I lost my job. My, at the time, um, boyfriend and I broke up. I decided I needed a change, so I made a big move. And during that time, um, about a six-month period where I was just sort of like completely out of control, I also like had um, an assault and it just, it really, after that, it, my drinking just ramped up. Um, I ended up moving to Chicago. My, um, my boyfriend and I reconciled. He's now my husband. He's an amazing man. 
but we moved to Chicago and I really didn't get help for kind of the, the things that I'd gone through um, during that spiral. And when we moved to Chicago again, it was easy to drink every night because I didn't have to drive. Um, I also started doing some theatrical work where I was on tour. So kind of like about Aaron Shaw Street talked about this, I think in, in one of her episodes, like being alone in hotel rooms Mm. It was like the permission for me to just drink. And my husband wasn't there. So he, he really didn't know. And I didn't tell anybody and I never missed work. You know, I was never a person. I don't even know that I necessarily came to work hungover because theaters, you know, rehearsal a lot of times to start later in the day. So no one really knew, like I never said anything to anyone. And then I kept trying to do like dry months when I was living in Chicago. Like I would say, I want to do a dry month, you know, during the summer. Oh, but I can't do it during the summer. Like that's when all the fun uh, outdoor drinking is. Or then I would try and do um, a dry month at the end of the year. And it was like, well, no, but that's when all the holiday parties are. So I always found an excuse not to do that. And yeah, <laughs> yeah um, this sounds so familiar. <laughs> right. It's well, and it's, you know, you make excuses. You say, well, I was, I didn't drink for four days. Like, of course I can have a glass of wine. And then your dry month is over. Like, at least for me, it was like, well, I'm not going back. Like, or, and so it didn't happen until like December, 2014. Um, I decided I was going to do a dry month in support of my brother who was taking some time off of drinking in order to qualify for a scholarship that he received um, when he was getting his master's in divinity. So I was like, you know, in support of you getting this degree, I, I know that you can't drink while you're on the scholarship as part of the kind of terms of it. You know, I'll do a dry month uh, in support. And because I also had like an external motivator, like it wasn't like I was saying out loud, I'm stopping drinking. I think that the permission to say like, I'm doing this to support somebody actually gave me the mental space to to finally do it. And it felt so good. Mm -hmm. Um, and then at the end of that dry month, so it was like December, 2014, kind of a little treat for myself as I was flying from Chicago to Vegas, um, that January, which was amazing because if you've been to Chicago in January, it's miserable. (laughs) (laughs) So flying home to Las Vegas was like this really awesome reward. And when I got back from that vacation, the day I got back, I went back into work and they'd eliminated my position at the theater that I was working at. Mm. Um, so I knew, honestly, like because of the spiral that I'd had a couple of years earlier when I'd been let go from a job, I just, I knew what the miserable side of it looked like. And I was just like, I can't do that again. I can't do that to myself again. So I'm going to stick with this not drinking thing. And my husband and I decided that this, that that was an opportunity for us to like make a huge life change. And we moved back home to Las Vegas. And over the next six months, I kind of experimented with moderation. And it wasn't that I couldn't do it. Like it was fine. Like I would have like a drink a month, but the mental space that it took up of like, when am I going to get that drink? Like, what am I going to have when I drink? And it, it just wasn't worth it. So I just ended up saying like, I think I'm all done. And 
I just started telling friends like, yeah, I decided I'm probably not going to drink tonight. Like I didn't necessarily in that first year say I'm never doing this again. And then after about a year, I said, you know, it's been a year. Um, I don't need this. And I've done a lot of great things without this. I don't think I need this ever again. And that's kind of when I started exploring the online sobriety community um, and found, found both of you lovely ladies and people like, like you, like Holly, you know, just these women that said like, you know, this is such a waste of ourselves. Like why, why? <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, and then leading up to that too, you know, if you were trying to do all of these dry months and all of that, even if you weren't admitting it, it to yourself, just even thinking about attempting a dry month kind of insinuates that you have you have some issues with your um, behavior around alcohol. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's the um, that's step zero for me. Like that's that's like the curious year prior. You know when I could finally admit it to myself, like you were kind of feeling your way around. I mean, your brother's divinity school, right? You're like, I'm going to jump on that. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to take, I'm going to follow his lead. Right. Basically, because there's something about doing it with someone too. Yes. Solidarity, accountability. um, It doesn't feel so alone. It doesn't feel so alone. And it was also nice because I mean, I think both of you know that feeling when you tell people like at a party, oh, I'm not drinking. It's like, what's wrong? Like, that's the first response when you tell people sometimes that you're not drinking is what's wrong. So being able to have something where I said, I'm doing it because X, Y, Z to help, you know, support this person. It just relieved the mental pressure in those early days before I was really able to verbalize why I was doing what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you said, you, you, when you got to a year is when you felt like you were really committed. And I, you know, I kind of did that. I kind of set up my sobriety the same way where I said, I'm just going to try this for a year. And that gave me something to say to at a party or social situation. I'm just trying it for a year. I figure, you know, I should be able to do anything for a year. I'm a grown ass woman. And, uh, and you know, but about six months in, well, before that, really, almost a hundred days in, I thought, you know, I'm probably going to keep going. We'll see. But it gave me that out. You know, if I'm if I get to an end of, end of the year and nothing's changed for the better, then I can go back to drinking. For you, after you'd done that year, was that really like your like? Did you continue from there? Did you have any? points where you said, I'll try some moderation. Like, no, no, I, I just, I, things got so much better. So immediately for me now, had they not, um, I don't know if I'd still be sober right now, but they did like my sleep got better. My patience improved, (laughs) like lots of things improved right away for me. And, uh, so that really motivated me to keep going. And then I got to the point where, okay, well now I'm just willing to do anything to not go back to drinking. So, yeah. 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 And and at seven months, I always tell the story. That's when I was like trying to figure out how to add it back into my life, Kim. 
And I wasn't doing, this is what I wanted to ask you. I wasn't doing a traditional, um, like a 12 step program or anything. I was just kind of hiking, talking to one friend and my husband and, you know, they probably, I mean, they didn't say they got tired of me talking about it, but you know, they're kind of, okay, are are we kind of done with this talk now? (laughs) Like you quit drinking. Why, Why do you keep talking about it? Well, because I have a problem, you know, and that was what became clear to me. Um, did you try any traditional paths or did you ever want to wander down or into the rooms or different rooms to try anything or did you just do it yourself? I think, you know, I now I was thinking about it a lot actually this week, kind of leading up to us having this talk. I think that actually I'd be way more open to like a women's only group now than at the beginning. I think at the beginning I was still... I was so scared that someone was going to like tell me that the way that I was doing it was wrong or that I had to do it a certain way. Like I was so nervous. I was so shaky in it already. It was like, I'm barely getting through this as it is once. And especially because I, you know, I was at a place um, in terms of my, like everything else in my life was changing. Like I was just kind of, you know, I'd, I'd lost this job that I felt so much pride in. I was, my husband and I were living with my mom in a room as a married couple in our thirties. <laughs> you know, it was like, I'm barely holding on to this sobriety thing. Mm-hmm. I was in a position where I was like, I'm so vulnerable right now that if I walk into that room and someone is, makes me feel less than, I think I'm going to fall apart. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now you're just, and so are you saying now that you're, you have way more confidence, I'm sure that you would, you feel less um, impressionable if somebody, I don't know, tried to challenge your methods or. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that, and I think now also like, I, I don't know if sobriety has done this to you ladies, but like, it's also opened me up a lot more. Like over the past four years, I feel like I'm not afraid of vulnerability and I'm not afraid of maybe people disagreeing with me, but I used to be. Um, yeah. So I think that now I'd definitely be more open to it if I found a group here that I liked and, and kind of liked the, um, like the vibe of that group that I'd be way more into it than I was that first year just because I don't think I could even... I think it took me that full year to process everything. And then that's when I started, like you said, Tammy, when your husband's like, are we done now? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I know that my husband and my best friend who both like, you know, do drink, but like, it's just not a problem for them. And this, it doesn't, it doesn't manifest in the same way in their lives that it did in mine. I know that both of them were like, okay, like we get it. You're not drinking all done. Right. Um, And that's when I really started to look for other people that kind of had had the same journey that I had and created like the website and the Instagram account. And that's not to say also that my friends and my um, spouse haven't been supportive. Like they've been amazing. It's just- they can only talk about it so much with you, right? Because they don't share your experience. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So around that, so was it around a year mark when you started at Sober in Vegas on Instagram and your website? I think it was because I 
well, maybe it was about a year and a half. I can't exactly remember. I think I started the website in December of 2016. Okay. And cause I know we were chatting it's been two years since my friend passed away. And I know we were chatting when I was going to Vegas and kind of taking care of her maybe six months before that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it's been a few years and what I, um, you know, I think that the first thing that came up for me when you started that was like, Oh, that's interesting because all I associate Vegas with is being really hungover always every time I went. Right. To- it's like a paradox. <laughs> right. <laughs> So the fact that you were doing this, I was like, what is this all about? This seems interesting. And um, so can you tell us like what inspired you to do that? I mean, clearly your sobriety, but just, um, you know, like I said, you're you're very much of service. This is not something that you're getting paid for, are you? I mean, I don't know if you are, maybe I'm making an assumption, but it seems like you're doing it as a service. Yeah. I think I just wanted, I wanted to create like a narrative that was different than what Las Vegas is known for, especially since I was living that narrative. <laughs> right. Um, and then I wanted to give other people permission to have a place that they could go that was not, um, not public where they could do a little bit of research. Kind of like you said, Tammy, with your, your year of research or, you know, Sandra, when you gave yourself permission to have that first year, like I wanted to give somewhere, like create a place, like people don't have to sign in to view the content. People don't have to, um, you know, like create a, a password or sign up for a newsletter to get the content. Like if they're curious, they can just peruse on there for as long as they want. If they're curious about what it's like to live a different narrative in Las Vegas. I love that. Yeah, me too. You're help. You're giving them a little bit of permission, um, which I think is so. Uh, it's like um, again, I've just I keep saying it's the step zero, but there were so many things that I did before I got sober that I am only now really reflecting on, because when you're curious, right? When you're sober, curious, like I'm going to follow that author for a little while. Oh, that that movie celebrity star, whatever, is sober. That's interesting, and you start kind of creating your own little world online of the people that you follow, right? right? Like the Holly Whitakers and the Laura McCowans, like that's how I kind of had started. And um, what you're doing though is almost an extension of that too. Like they could follow you, but you can go do things. You can actually like go to Las Vegas. I, I gave, there's a guy at one of my meetings and he was really nervous. He had shared about um, going to Las Vegas for work and he was really stressed out. And I was, after the meeting, I went up to him and I'm like, Hey, check this out. <laughs> and I gave him your website and your Instagram handle. And he was like, seriously, I was so stressed out. There's things to do. And I'm like, yes, there's many things to do there. And so he was relieved. And then he told me when he got back, he's like, thank you for that. He's like, I didn't get to go do a lot cause I was working, but just knowing that there were things, right. That you're not the only one in Vegas. It's not drinking. <laughs> So that's a, that's really key. Have you met a lot of people through doing this? Yeah, interestingly. Um, and it's what I like also is I, I have met people that sobriety isn't something that they're interested in, but they support the mission. Like, I think that is something that's given me a ton of hope as well, is that even, you know, like I had done, um, a blog post about 
where you can, what to drink when you're not drinking in downtown Vegas. And I reached out to a bunch of bars and people got back to me immediately. Like bars were like, oh yeah, here's all the options we have. Like, and that, something about that really made me happy because it was like, they were so willing to support that cause. And I think that Las Vegas is way more open-minded than I gave it credit for when I was growing up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has been very special. Yeah. Because, you know, not everybody wants to go drink their face off either, you know, and, and you, you know, when you're drinking, you think that's the story, but it's not always the story. There are those people that want to go see some shows or, you know, art or whatever, and they don't, and they don't want to just completely annihilate themselves. Right. Yeah. And that, that honestly, I've met a lot of folks that are non-drinkers or sober or in recovery. And then I've also met people that they're like, you know, it's not that I'm a non-drinker, but we have a lot of the same interests. Right. We would be friends. Like, yeah. Special too. I love it. Oh, well, um, what was the name of that big insta- art installation with the big fluorescent rocks? Um, yes, Seven Magic Mountains. Seven Magic Mountains. So I did stop there on my way to see my friend and take pictures. That that was inc- – Sandra, these were like incredibly huge boulders. I've seen photos of oh. them many times and, you know, uh, they're – yeah, like you stand next to them and you're dwarfed, right? They're, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're massive. They were so beautiful. I'm so glad. Is it still there? Because I thought it was only there for a certain amount of time. Yeah, it was initially going to be um, a temporary installation. And as of now, I don't believe that I, the temporary time is over and they've said that they're going to keep it up um, for a while. I don't know that they've released a date of like taking it down. I think it's been so successful that they've said, yeah, we're going to leave this up. (laughs) Yeah, it was beautiful. And there's a whole story behind it. I believe the land that it's on too um, had, well, had some sacredness to it as well. And and then talking about other people's art, Kim, you are yourself an artist, correct? Yes. Yeah. I do um, mixed media collage art. I love your art. And you had your first show, right? First solo show um, in Vegas called Analog Dialogue. Can you tell us a little bit about the impetus for that? Because I I find it quite fascinating. (laughs) Um, So it was um, a collection of collages that were on view at the Winchester Cultural Center, which is kind of a cool space here in Las Vegas. They offer classes, they have a performance space, they have um, an art gallery, and it's like a multi-generational cultural center. So there's stuff for kids, stuff for seniors, it's awesome. Um, and my, so basically the, the thought behind the show was I reached out to a ton of like friends, acquaintances, former coworkers. And I just asked them for the very first line of a letter that they had been meaning to send. Um, whether it's a letter that they were afraid to send or they'd been too busy to send just the first line. And I told them, I said, I don't need context. You know, you don't, you don't have to like share with me unless you want to, but um, just give me the first line. So people, I was blown away. People sent me just the most 
wonderful, um, honest, beautiful first lines of letters. And I made those into the collages that were on view. And the kind of um, the hook of the show, I guess you could say, was all of the collages were available for free to whomever. But if you claimed the collage, you had to send it to somebody else that, that you couldn't keep it for yourself and you had to send them a letter with the collage. So it was kind of like... Um, <laughs> it's like interactive. Oh, that's yeah. so cool, Kim. My God. So it was kind of like the transitive property of geometry <laughs> applied to art. So like um, you, you had to, to pay it forward. So the thing that was so interesting to me was when the, the people initially that I'd emailed for their first line of letters, they felt like those letters were so specific to them and that those lines were so deeply personal to them. However, when other people were in the gallery, those words struck them and a relationship in their lives. And it was like, no, I have to claim this collage because these lines are the lines I've been meaning to say to somebody else. And it just, um, it was really special. And I had a website component to the show as well, where I would post online where the collage was going after the show. So, and I didn't give personal details. It was mm-hmm. something like, this collage has been claimed and someone will be sending it to uh, a family member that they've been meaning to make amends with so that it was general enough that it didn't give away, you know, any personal details that might be embarrassing or, you know, that they didn't want to share, but that the person that had originally submitted that letter could see where it was going afterwards to somebody. That's so cool. That's so cool. And that is, that is the whole the whole reason that's the big why behind art, I think, right? Because it's a personal experience, but it also displays the human experience and, and makes it relatable. Um, wow. That's, that's a really, that's a really cool thing. It's such a huge, it's, it seems like your work, Kim, and this is where we're going to, you know, kind of travel down this path with you, but like your work is all about a passion project, it seems, right? Like you, you have some passion for connecting the dots, connecting people, um, giving freely of yourself. I mean, I want to know, we're going to talk about sobriety and spending. So I'm, I'm curious about art as um, a passion and then art as a career, yeah. you know, and kind of how you reconcile those two. Is there a point where you will switch over or do have you already switched over to sell your art at all? Or is it all like service oriented? Um, I have a couple things for sale on the website, on the Sober in Vegas website, but they're not original pieces. Um, it's, I created some note cards based on that art show um, that you can buy, you know, if you want to send a note card to somebody, but it's not the original artwork. And then I have... Um, like a deck of tarot sized art cards that are for new parents that are for sale. But again, it's printed version of the artwork. It's not the original. And it's funny. I don't think I'm thinking back over the years. I started making collages probably when I was about 19 and I'm 35 now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I've ever sold an original 
piece. I think it's always been like a print or, you know, if I've sold something, it's been a, a something based on the original. I think every original piece has always been something that I've made to give to somebody. So yeah, I don't know. That's mm-hmm. interesting. I, I probably have to think on that myself for the long term about what that means and why. <laughs> yeah, but printing things is a good way to monetize your art. I mean, come on, that's that's actually smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't discredit that. <laughs> yeah. I just I I've never done it because it just it seems like more work. <laughs> so I've never done it. But my microphone is sitting on top of a book um, by Daniel Krissa, the jealous curator of her collages. Um, do you know her? No, but I will have to look that up after the show. Oh, yeah. So Daniel Krissa um, has a podcast called The Jealous Curator. And Sandra and I listen to her. And um, she has several books. And she's lovely. She's lovely. But she talks a lot about the inner critic. But her collage work, she didn't think was, quote, unquote, art for many, many years. And um, it's been nice to watch her kind of unfold over the last few years. And um claim her seat as an artist, you know, and, and, um, and display her work. So yeah, she's one of my favorites. Hey, Unruffled listeners, just popping in mid show to remind you about our Patreon fundraising campaign. To date, we have produced almost two years worth of content and have over half a million downloads. We can hardly believe it. If you like what you've been hearing and appreciate our weekly consistency, you can be a patron of this show for as little as a dollar an episode. To donate, please go to patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thank you for your continued support of the show. Now back to it. Um, Let's see. Sobriety and spending. I want to talk about this big time. Yeah, I'm curious of of your ladies' thoughts too, kind of on if they're related, if you've ever felt like they're related for either of you. Oh, for sure. But can we back up just one second? So um, this is a theme that, or this is a topic you've been exploring lately, Kim. Are you only exploring it on Instagram or are you writing about it on your blog as well? Yeah, so I wrote, I've written about it on the the blog. Um, When I first started, the blog, I wrote about it a little bit too, but not like in a series way. And then on the website right now, there's a three part series. Um, one that is about, uh, just kind of my general thoughts on, on sobriety and spending and how they're related for me. One that's about small changes that I made in my life. And one that's about big changes that we made in our life as we've kind of been trying to, um, pay off our debt. Yeah. So where do you, where did you start? I mean, I, I read the blog post, but where, where do you want to start with telling that story? Like, um, like how did this come about for you? Why did you want to write about it? You know, one of the first people after that kind of year of exploration in early sobriety, one of the people whose website I came across that I connected with so deeply was Kate Flanders. Have either of you read her book? Oh, I've heard her on a podcast actually, but I have not read her book. I've not read her book, but I think I followed her on Instagram for a while. Um, yes. Yes. So she is somebody who is also sober mm-hmm. um, and was, is a person that I think is so interesting because she 
just does a lot of sort of experiments in her life about like how different things are related. She really looks deeply at the why behind um, what she's doing. And she had written a lot about her debt repayment journey in addition to kind of when she had stopped drinking, how they were related to her. And it just, something about that really, really resonated with me. Um, I know that when I was in my twenties, like right after I got done with college, um, when I was living in New York and I was drinking a lot, I just remember having so many nights, like crying about the college debt that I'd gone into. Like I didn't understand when I was in college how much that debt would affect my life. Because once I got out of school, you know, friends of mine who had maybe stayed at home to get their degree or who, you know, were in a financial position from their families to not have debt, you know, they were able to take different opportunities than I was able to take because I had to have a very full paycheck from day one, you know, I just to pay back that debt. And I, I remember there were nights where I would drink because I just felt the crushing feeling of, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of debt at 21, just thinking, I'm never, ever, ever not going to have this in my life. And rather than deal with it, I wanted to run from it. And I wanted to hide from it. And I did that in drinking. And I did that in, it was kind of like this thing of like, well, this is never going to fix itself. So fuck it. I'll make it worse. I'm sorry. I hope it's okay that I said that. It's totally fine. It's encouraged. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it was like a thing I remember in my early twenties, I I was making my minimum payments. It wasn't a type of thing where I was ever defaulting or not making my payments on my debts, but I wasn't motivated to pay them off. And so I bought a bunch of things that I thought would make me feel better. It was like, you know, I'm always going to have this debt and I'm always going to feel crushed by it. So why not blow a hundred bucks at H and M? Like, right. Well, you know, it's all an insatiable hole that we're trying to fill, right? And mindlessly fill. And and so I know that, you know, when I was drinking, certainly spending served the same purpose. Um, Just mindlessly walk around TJ Maxx and just fill an insatiable hole. And, you know, it give it, it, it works for like a second, just like, or 30 seconds, even just like, you know, drinking would work for 30 seconds then (laughs) until it makes you feel miserable. And um, yeah, you're right. They are very, very much intertwined. I I did it with thrifting. Um, when I, like back in 2008, I like, I was joking, like I was doing it like an Olympic sport because things were cheaper. I thought I could have more. Right. You're just making me think about this now, Kim. Um, I do try to use it as a creative outlet now, but I do like last Friday I went thrifting. Um, I'm not sure why, but I went and I got some art supplies and got a new jumpsuit. Felt really awesome. Um, and there's something about it that I go, oh, I only spent 12 bucks. Right. And, and it did fill that hole or that need. Right. I mean, I think the difference is, is just having intentionality ar- around everything, including spending. Yeah. 
And that's how you do it with, you know, in a healthier way. Because yeah. we have to spend money. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm also not a person. I love, like, thrifting is something that's been one of my hobbies since ever since I can remember. Like, I'm the same way where I'm like, ooh, like, look what I got for $5. Like, it's, there is, um, there's something really fun about that. And it feels like a hit. <laughs> it does. <laughs> And that's part of like why I had to examine it for me is because when I stopped drinking, I was at the thrift store every day after work in the same way that I used to be at the bar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was like, what is going on here? Like, what is this? Um, and for a while, you know, maybe that did distract you and it, and it served its purpose. Yeah. Um, it distracted you from, you know, suffering during the witching hours or whatever, but you're right. At some point you have to have a reckoning. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, over all those years, you know, I was always complaining, you know, I don't have money for therapy. I don't have money for therapy. Like, what are you talking about? Like, just stop buying things you don't need for a month. And that's the copay for therapy. So it just, it for me it was like I had to examine and again I can only speak for myself but like I was doing something to like put a band-aid on versus like Mm -hmm. (laughs) getting down to the crux of what was going on and I found that I um Kate Flanders did a two-year shopping ban in her life and I did about like a six-month shopping ban And I found that in those six months, it was almost like that same sobriety feeling, like that early sobriety feeling where you're like, I don't even know what I do with my time. Like, right. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of when I got back into hiking, I got back into yoga, you know, I, I I found a lot more time to make artwork when Mm. I wasn't used. And this was also before I had a baby. Um, Right. (laughs) so much time. Um, and I found that my relationships also changed. Like it was really interesting to, to have those experiments where it's same thing as when you're, you're re-examining your friendships and you're not going out to the bar, you're saying to your friends, Hey, instead of going to the thrift store together, would you want to go for a walk? And the truth is most of your friends just want to see you, you know, they don't care what it is that you do. They want to see you. So that's, that's been really, um, rewarding. Mm. And then I bet I, I can only imagine that as soon as you started paying things off and, you know, you're feeling a little more abundant that you would just, you just probably got more momentum to keep going and yeah. to keep examining your spending and all that same, same with sobriety. It is. It's kind of, for me, they've been deeply intertwined and I know for some people, you know, that's not the case, but um, yeah, for me, I, I kind of needed to examine both of them over the past couple of years in order to really get to the crux of like, of, of, you know, depression, of anxiety, of social anxiety, of all those things that I kept trying to fix with stuff, whether the stuff was actually physical stuff, whether it was alcohol, um, you know, it's, it's been a journey to kind of get to the bottom of all of that together. Mm. 
Well, did you read any other books or follow any other financial gurus besides Kate Flanders, like uh, Dave Ramsey? My husband's a huge Dave Ramsey fan (laughs) or Susie Orman or anyone else. I I haven't done Dave Ramsey, although I've had a lot of friends that have loved that, um, that path and like that that's been really helpful for them. Um, I followed a lot of like, uh, honestly, I would just, I would read people's personal blogs. Like I would just read them all night, you know, I, Mm, right. I would just Google, you know, um, spending, you know, well, I'm trying to remember what I would look up spending advice, you know, budgeting advice. And I would just, I'm really drawn to people that are, um, honest about, how hard it is for them. There's a podcast called the slow home podcast that I really like. And that's kind of just getting, uh, to a simpler life and it kind of addresses, you know, spending, it addresses our like culture's addiction to busyness. Mm-hmm. Which I love that podcast. Yeah. Isn't that podcast so good? I want her voice. Like I want I've her- never heard this podcast. <laughs> what is it called again? The slow home. Mm-hmm. Slow home podcast. Yeah. Right. They're from Australia, right? Yeah, it's a couple from Australia, and they're just—they're so vulnerable and mm-hmm. honest and like kind. It's so good. <laughs> I think that's where I learned about Kate Flanders was maybe from that um, from that podcast. And a friend of mine locally um, follows all of that and tries to—I mean, they minimized and sold, you know their extra car and they had one car and then they, um, they did a house swap and moved to Vermont for a while. And cause they thought they wanted to move there. And then after they went, they were like, no, I don't think this is going to work for our family. Um, the winters and things, they just didn't, but they didn't sell their house. They just experimented. But a lot of that was influenced by Kate Flanders and the slow home podcast the, the couple that does, um, that does that. Well, it's just something to think about. I think when I was listening to that, I haven't listened to it in a long time, but um, I was very much interested in kind of controlling my environment, controlling my spending, controlling. um, That's why I was thrifting rather than shopping um, um, at department stores and things. I mean, sometimes I need to. Um, Do you use the Quit That app or some kind of app to be a sobriety counter for you? Or do you use that at all? don't. No, I haven't. Because... Um because on there, they, they have a, the reason I was asking is they have a, you can put like how much you've saved since you quit drinking. Ooh, that sounds wonderful. So for me, because I spent about 20 bucks a day was my, was my, um, dollar amount average over time. Cause, um, you know, there was years where I didn't drink every day, like I was at the end, but, um, right. it looks like tomorrow I'm coming up on 1500 days and it'll be $30,000 that I've saved. Wow. So when I see that in the beginning, when you were asking about my spending, I didn't think about it much, but you've charred my memory. Um, I justified spending in early sobriety because I wasn't spending on alcohol. Yeah. And those early sobriety days, my feeling is like, you do whatever you need to do. Like, right. Right. (laughs) That's what I was saying when you were saying that you found yourself roaming around thrift stores at happy hour, you know, do what you got to do in the beginning. Those those first months, it's like, I don't care if you need to like have a soda pop when you leave work, like whatever it is. Do whatever you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. So that was it. And I remember, I don't feel like I justify it as much now. 
Um, and I don't look at my counter like I used to, but in early sobriety, I gave myself, um, I had really bad skin, Kim. Um, I had cysts all on my jawline and my neck. My body was just breaking down at the end. And, um, I, that's why I always wore a scarf. It's where I wear, I was still wearing a lot of scarves, but before it was to hide my neck and my jawline. And I used to get facials every month and justify it. Um, by looking at my sobriety um, tally, like how much I had saved. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, I would have spent this on booze in a week. I'm going to do this for myself once a month for a year. And I did. And I think that that is like, that's a really healthy relationship, <laughs> you know, like that's, <laughs> that's a healthy relationship with money. And that's, you know, I tried, I tried to make it clear that like, it's not necessarily about like, you're, I, I don't think that people shouldn't own stuff or shouldn't treat themselves to things. For me, it was more so of like, I was doing it. I was buying things because I was sad, you yeah, know, right. I was buying things because I was bored or anxious, not because it was intentional. I think Sandra, you keep, mm-hmm. I, I think you're so right on when you keep saying like, looking at and doing things with intention. Yeah. And we can do that now that we have more clarity. Right. And I think the more days that I accumulate as a sober person, um, I know that I only have today and, and, you know, I could drink today, but I'm not going to, but I, I think that the more clarity we kind of have and can kind of have this frame of reference of looking back and seeing how we can do things differently and have more intention, like Sandra's mentioned, like it feels that feels very powerful to me, you know, and managing your money, I imagine feels very powerful as well. Like that you get to control this, you get to decide, yeah. um, you know, if you're going to go drop a hundred dollars at TJ Maxx or not, right. Or, um, or online. Um, we've had a former guest that has shared like, um, she goes online and just puts everything in her cart, like to get the hit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but doesn't hit purchase. Yep. You know, and so um she's recognized that that's what she does. Like she's gonna go have an imaginary shopping day online, but then she doesn't purchase. So that's the thing, like to try to think about like, you know, for a while I'm sure she did hit purchase. <laughs> but yeah, it's um it's you've given me something to think about here. And so Kim, what is your goal to be debt free? Are you approaching being debt free? Um, yeah, we're working towards that. We've had an interesting week. My husband was actually let go from his job. Uh, oh, so. dang it. So, but you know what? Um, Y'all are, we have an emergency fund and we never did six or seven years ago. See that how, wow, that's amazing. So it's like, there was a moment, of course, you know, we were sad because he, he loved, he liked what he was doing, but we looked at each other. We said, we got this. Like we've worked really, really, really hard. You know, we haven't done big vacations over the past couple of years with raising our daughter. We've tried to like not get extravagant, you know, buying a bunch of stuff there. And we said, it's going to be okay. And we don't have to have like an anxiety spiral. It's, it's going to be okay. And, you know, I know that if I hadn't gotten sober, I would be just a total wreck right now. And it's okay. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. Well, um, Kim, 
before we um, wrap up this interview, I wanted to chat. You are a new mom. Yes. <laughs> yes. How old is your little one? Um, she's, yeah, 14 months. Aww. And you got sober before you got pregnant. Yeah. 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 And I recently heard you on a podcast talking about, um, you know, sobriety and then getting pregnant and not drinking for nine months. And, um, can you chat with me a little bit about what that experience was like? Yeah, I, you know, actually pregnancy was one of the hardest times for me because, um, I was really angry because I felt like I was hung over every day mm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was yes. so mad because I'd done all this work, you know, the couple years leading up to before getting pregnant so that I'd never have to feel that way again. And I just remember like, you know, I think as women were told, you know, pregnancy is this, this beautiful goddess time, like you're going to glow and da da da. And I was like, yeah, that's not how I feel. I feel really mm-hmm. I'm really mm-hmm. mad that there's like an alien inside of me, even though I, I wanted a daughter, like it's not, this was a planned pregnancy and something that we wanted to do. I think I just was surprised at the emotions that I was going through and that physically I felt how I did when I used to drink. And I think I was not anticipating that. And it, it really scared me, I think. Right. Because you, you're right. Uh, you have these expectations about, about all this shoulds, right? How you think you should be feeling when you're pregnant and they certainly don't, (laughs) they certainly don't always. And, and, you know, you, you could have a second baby and, and it could be a completely different experience. Your pregnancy could, uh, yeah, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I think (laughs) around pregnancy, how it should go and it, and it, and um, when it doesn't go how we think it's going to go, we think we're doing it wrong or, you know, and it certainly doesn't mean that you don't want what you have. <laughs> right, right. And, and so you struggled with postpartum depression afterwards, right? I did, yeah. I, I, I think because um, during sobriety, I had created all these uh, like toolbox, like, you know, tools in my toolbox. For me, it was yoga. It was hiking. It was, you know, like Sandra, you mentioned in your early sobriety, your sleep got so much better. You know, I'd cultivated all these things that really made me feel good about being sober. And when you have a one week old baby, you don't have any of those things. (laughs) No. Right. So I felt kind of like, all these tools that I'd worked so hard to like put in my toolbox. I didn't have any of them. And it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to drink. Like I didn't, I wasn't in a place where I was like, well, a drink will fix this. I think it went to an even darker place where I was like, nothing will fix this. Yeah. It was like I knew that drinking wasn't the answer. And then I had all these tools and I couldn't access them. And I think I just went to a really dark place of like, I am such an ungrateful, disgusting person because I'm not the happiest I've ever been. You know, there are lots of people out there who would love to have kids and maybe haven't been able to. And I'm so ungrateful and I'm so, such a terrible human being. Right. And and that's just piling your self-judgment and shame on top of 
the experience of what it's like to be, you know, a first time new mom. And so like you're judging your feelings and that just makes it, makes you fall down the hole even farther. Yeah. Sorry. I'm getting a little bit emotional. I'm sorry, Kim. Oh, Give yeah. A hug right now. <laughs> I just, you know, I think about all the parents out there that don't have support. I think, you know, and I just, I wish there was more resources for parents. Um, you know, we were lucky enough. I'm so glad that we moved home to Las Vegas because we had family here and they were amazing. You know, they were incredible. And I just, when I reflect back on that time, I think about, you know, new parents that, that are maybe don't have those resources or those privileges. And, you know, I just, it makes me have so much respect. Like anytime I'm in the grocery store and I see another parent, I like look at them and I'm like, you got it. You're awesome. Like, I'm like, I just, I look at other people now with so much more respect than I ever had before. So in the end, I'm glad that I had those experiences because it's given me so much more empathy. Um, and I hope that that's something that I, I hold on to and, you know, don't, don't forget, but yeah, it was, those couple months after my daughter was born were rough. Um, and, you know, I have a really, really good therapist. During the six months after I had my daughter, I ended up going on some medication that was so helpful. Like it just like pulled me out of the darkness. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, now I have this lovely 14 month old that like makes me laugh every day. And I think during those first three months, I was just afraid that I would never I would never feel the feelings that you're told you're going to have as a parent. And now that I'm kind of over that hump, I'm just so grateful. Mm. I'm glad. And sometimes you don't know that you're in it. Right. You're in it. So it's really hard to get help if you don't know that this is what's happening. Um, I, I don't know if you have this in Vegas or Sandra, if it's called the same thing, but CPS out here is child protective services. Mm-hmm. And it would be years later when I looked through Grady's medical file um, to put this together. But, you know, CPS came to visit me when my son was like, yeah, two or three months old. And I guess it, they had been flagged by the hospital because I, I had such a long delivery. I had five days of being in labor and inducing labor for five days. I mean, not in labor, but trying to induce labor for five days. Anyhow, I guess there was these markers. I wasn't breastfeeding. I wasn't, I had I struggled with everything. And I didn't know that they were coming to do a, a welfare check on my child. <laughs> you know, it would take years for me to look at those, that paperwork and go like, oh my God, that, I didn't even know what CPS meant back then. And I put it all together later. But when you're in the darkness, when you're in this time, um, you know, I chose to self-medicate and to drink. So I did, and I didn't know better. Um, and it, it is, I'm so glad you got help, Kim. I'm so glad that you you know, talked with somebody, got medication and, um, and that you're on the other side. Yeah. And I, I, I think that a lot of people, a lot of us self-medicate because there are so many expectations around that first year as a parent, you know, yeah. there's so much marketing telling you that this is the most special time, that this is 
you know, these are the most special moments of your life. And like, I don't know that that's necessarily true. Of course, they're a very special time, but like, why can't every moment as a parent be the most special? To, you know, right? Because honestly, some of it is just surviving. <laughs> I mean, really, come on. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. it is like it is like sobriety. Like what I found was that other mothers weren't talking about it. Right? Yeah. I even called a really good friend of mine when I was having a really dark time, and I got scolded. Oh. I got told like, "Don't talk about your kid that way." And I was like, uh, I, I just needed to vent because I didn't want to hurt my kid. I didn't want to do anything quote unquote wrong. Right. But I had no one to talk to about it, especially my husband, you know, and which who I should have been able to talk to about it. But I was scared because the, what is sold to moms is like to, to keep your shit together. Yeah. You know, this is like, you know, anyhow. And I know that people talk about when Brooke Shields talked about it. I remember that was around the time that I had my son. I was like, okay, finally, someone's talking about this. I'm very interested in hearing this um, to get some hope. Yes. And to know that you're not alone. I think that's the biggest, like in sobriety, in parenthood, in like, if you're having issues with spending, eating, addiction, like whatever it is, it, all, it comes back to this thing of like, you're not alone. And when people pretend that, I, whoa, I never, I'd never had a bad day as a parent. I'm like, go away. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm not interested in, I'm not interested in hearing what anybody has to say along those lines. <laughs> Cause um, they're just not telling the truth. They're I mean, not. Right. That you look at at somebody else, whether it's somebody that comes to you and says, like, I'm struggling with drinking, whether it's someone that comes to you and says, I'm struggling with my mental health, you know, just looking at a person and saying, like, I hear you is the most, is like the best gift you can give anybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's what you're doing with all this, all everything that you're putting out there, Kim. You're yeah. definitely holding compassion for, for, for people. For humanity. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it feels that way. Well, and I feel like the reason I can do it is because other people do it as well. I mean, you ladies are both very honest about your good days as well as your bad days. And there are so many people in the online community that that do that for each other. So I'm just so grateful. Yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift. Um, you know, I didn't have these online communities available to me when I was um, pregnant. Or, you know, it just seemed like, you know, that was so long ago because it was 16 years ago. But um, I love, that's what the thing, like when people start talking about social media and getting down on it, it's like, I need a break every once in a while, but I am very grateful for the community and the connections and that I've made over these last four years. It's been, it's saved my life. Yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Sandra, am I forgetting anything before we? I don't talk? think so. I think I love everything that we've talked about today. Is there anything that we missed here, Kim, that you wanted to touch on at all before we move to the toolbox? I don't think so. I just, I do want to say again, thank you, ladies. I just, I appreciate what you both do as well and, and the mm -hmm. art that you put out into the world and just the energy you both put out there too. Oh, thank mm -hmm. you. Well, I look forward to hanging out with you in Vegas if I can get myself back to Vegas. Yes, it's, it's so been good. hard for me to go back. So I, um, I'll see when I'm ready. You know. Yeah. And I know that you know with with the history you have here and your friend. I mean, it, you know, you have to respect that. 
Yeah. Yeah, I will. I need to get back to see her kids. So I, I, it's, it's not, it's not, it won't be too long. I know that, but I will reach out when I do, cause I would love to meet you and, and have tea or something. Yeah. yeah. Or go for a hike. I love red rocks. Yes. Oh yeah. That's the last place I went hiking with, with Casey. So I would love to go back there. That would be beautiful. Be beautiful. Well, this is the part of the show where we share some items that are in your unruffled toolbox and they can be sobriety related or they can be creative related or, you know, whatever you feel like sharing with the listeners that has, that helps you. Yeah. Um, so the, I kind of was thinking, you know, you all had said, put together your tools. And so the tools that I find that I rely on are, first of all, podcasts. You know, I love listening to the sobriety-related podcasts. I remember listening to the home podcast when I first started kind of, you know, that that exploration phase. And then um, I'm also, uh, I just love kind of pop culture fun podcasts as well. Um, I love the Sporkful, which is oh. kind of like a food podcast, pop culture food podcast. I love... Um, there's a podcast called Household Name that's about the history of different brands that exist in our life. Oh, that hmm. sounds cool. And then I love also, there's NPR podcasts I love, like It's Been a Minute and Code Switch and um, more serious, you know, podcasts. But um, the other thing that I like is uh, obviously hiking and getting outside. Um, now that it's, it's harder for me to go on, you know, big, long overnight trips or things like that, but we make it a point after dinner every night, we go for a walk with our daughter in her stroller. Um, so just getting outside, getting out of the house is like the best. <laughs> yeah. It's a reset. Yeah. It's a reset button. Um, and then for me, the biggest kind of piece in the sobriety puzzle has been getting into therapy and um, finally kind of getting down to the uh, to the the deep parts of of things that I need to work on and why I was doing what I was doing so therapy for me has been amazing Hmm. yeah it's helpful outside outside sources outside help that's that's key for me too Well, Kim, I thank you so much for being here. I wanted to say, give you a little plug here. I printed out your calendar, your free calendar that you created um, that is on your website. And I'm going to make it my new, I have a little paper. It's so funny. I make a little paper calendar for um, how we do uh, interviews and I just keep it up on a clipboard in my studio. So now I printed out the whole year and I'm going to use your calendar for that purpose for the show. Oh, that's so nice. Thank yeah, you. I'm going to take a little picture of it later and share it on Instagram and do the whole thing. We have a horrible printer situation. I swear we have three dead printers right now oh. and that just need to go to Goodwill. And yeah. it's, it's sad. But, <laughs> but I would print it too if I could. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Well, they're so pretty. Each month they is are so pretty. beautiful. And I love, cause you know, I'm a big fan of the hot pink. I think Sandra is too. So, um, and the show is for sure, but you use a lot of that in yours and it printed. Okay. Kim, I know you and I had talked That's about printing. I actually used your advice when you were like, either you can pay to get it professionally scanned or you can take some pictures of it. So I took yeah. pictures. <laughs> I think the pictures worked. Yeah. Because I can definitely, what, for some reason, when I scan my artwork here at home, the hot pink never just never um, works. It doesn't, this home printer doesn't capture it, but a photo does. Yeah. A photo of it. It's really weird. 
So I was so grateful to you uh, when you had reached out and said like, hey, I've had this problem too. I just felt like I wasn't hitting my head against the wall and you like, why won't this scan? <laughs> right. No. So it's great. So if our listeners want to go to your website, they can download it, right? Is that where it's at on your website? Yep. And it's hundred percent free. Like you don't even have to enter your email address or like any of that kind of thing. It's just free and available to download. Yeah. And you just said, Hey, if you're going to put this anywhere, you know, and if you're going to share it at all, you know, just tag me. And so I'm definitely going to tag you and you're not on Facebook, right? Nope. Um, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter and both of those I'm at sober in Vegas. Perfect. Well, we're going to put you in our secret Facebook group, your interview, and sometimes people um, will comment, but if they comment, we'll respond back and let them know that you're not on Facebook because, you know, sometimes they do that under the episodes when we do that. We have about almost 700 women in our secret Facebook group. That's amazing. And amazing. So I will share your calendar there. That's what I'm going to write myself a note. I'll share that there for you under your episode. There you go. So that people can, can download it and check out your work. Yeah. And we'll put your Instagram name in the show notes too. That way people can chat with you over there. Yeah. I'll find you. Thank you so much. Oh, well, this was lovely, Kim. Thank you for your time and for sharing. And we just really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you both so much for having me. I really, I am, it sounds cheesy, but I'm honored. So thank you. It was a joy, Kim. Yeah. (laughs) Have a good one. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.